Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've been wrong many times. But I'm beginning to think I'm right about this. The mainstream media is not your friend. The culture is not your friend. The government is not your friend. Big business is not your friend. They are operating collegiately in unison to create a set of systems that are beneficial to them and disadvantage you. There you go. Russell Brand. <laughs> I love it when liberals become totally red-pilled. And that is exactly what has happened to Russell Brand. He's a very talented performer and comedian. He's totally awake now. Totally awake. Not woke. Awake. Big difference. Same thing happening to my uh, producer is asking for more volume. How's that? All right. Same thing happened to Trevor Noah and Bill Maher. And it's great to see. All right, welcome to Radio Free Canada. News notes and opinions for Monday, March 21st in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is Maskless Monday. I'm not going to get too excited. My boys were excited to be able to go to school today and enter the school without a mask. This is their second year of high school this was the first time they were able to see their teachers' faces and the faces of their classmates. Some of them, anyway. Sadly, 
Many of the teachers chose to wear a mask, and by their estimates, half of the students chose to wear a mask, which is their right, of course. And incidentally, I, I hope those of you who took your mask off today showed more kindness and understanding to those who've decided to wear a mask than many of the mask wearers showed to those of you who chose not to wear a mask these last two years. Did that make any sense? So I'm not celebrating maskless Monday. I'm not thankful or appreciative to the Ford government. That would like being in an abusive relationship and thanking the abuser for stopping the abuse. Just as I won't be thanking gropey blackface the crime minister or his creepy minister of transportation when they finally get around to rescinding all remaining federal COVID mandates. Think about it. If someone punches you in the face and steals your wallet and then two years later comes to your house and returns your wallet, do you thank them? I hope not. No, you do not. Uh, this is interesting, if true, and I'm looking for the audio. I don't have confirmation on this, but I'm, I'm looking for the audio. Haven't found it yet. I'm seeing reports that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky did an interview with CNN in which he admitted that the U.S. State Department told him Ukraine would not become a, mem a member of NATO, would not become a member of NATO, NATO, but he was instructed to speak and act as if it were a distinct possibility. In other words, the U.S. State Department was using Ukraine to bait Russia. Keep poking the bear. Keep poking. Meanwhile, Zelensky has banned three news channels and 11 political parties because freedom and democracy. Listen, I'm not saying that Putin is the good guy here. He's a thug. What I'm saying is this isn't about black hats and white hats. All I can see over there are a lot of gray hats. Kamala Harris, who is a complete and utter fraud. She knows it. The American people know it. Her own staff knows it. They've basically thrown up their hands. They've given up. Well, she has gifted us again with more of her sage wisdom. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. That's what you call killing the clock. Running down the clock in the business. Someone told her, go up there to the podium and speak. Just say a few words. 40 seconds. She has nothing to say of value. So she just repeats some inane sentence over and over again. The significance of the passage of time. Reminds me of uh, essays I used to see when I was in high school. And there'd be a, uh, maybe a history essay due. And someone would be writing their history essay in homeroom. You know, it was worth like 30, 
They finally got around to writing it in homeroom and they had history class, maybe third period. And they absolutely, they did absolutely no research. And the essay was on the Industrial Revolution. And they'd write something like, the Industrial Revolution was a revolution that was very industrial. And it, it was a thing that happened, this Industrial Revolution. That's basically the level we're dealing with with Kamala Harris. Hard to believe this fraud is one heartbeat away or one blood clot away, as the case may be, from becoming president of the United States. She really is Grampy Joe Beijing, uh, Beijing Biden's insurance policy. I used to think he and his staff were trying to dump her because she's even more unpopular than he is. She's polling in the mid-20s. Imagine an approval rating of around 25 or 26%. Joe, Joe polls in the mid-30s. So I used to think Biden's camp wanted to get rid of her. Not anymore. Now I'm convinced she's his insurance policy. Think about it. When the GOP destroys the Dems in the midterm elections in the U.S. in November, and they'll take back the House and the Senate, they could hold impeachment hearings. I mean, take your pick of, a, of about a dozen things that Biden could and should be impeached for. Not defending the southern border, leaving billions of dollars of U.S. weaponry behind in Afghanistan for the Taliban to sell to terrorists. The whole Hunter Biden laptop thing, which is not going away. But if you impeach Joe, think about it. You get Kamala, which is unthinkable. As bad as Joe is, Kamala is worse. We have our own problems, of course. Senator Donna Dasko is a liberal senator from Ontario appointed by the crime minister, Gropey. Here's what she tweeted on Saturday during the freedom protests in Toronto this past weekend. She tweets, These loud marches today in downtown Toronto remind me of the occupiers of Ottawa that I saw last month against vaccine mandates, against Chinese communists, against the World Economic Forum, anti-Trudeau, demanding freedom and more. That's right, Senator Dasko. You tell them. How dare these protesters protest the communist Chinese? How dare they demand freedom? Can you believe it? She's an actual senator. We, which means we can't get rid of her until she's 75 years old. This, this is what I mean when I said last week that this country is run by everyone I used to hate in high school. Senator Dasko thinks there's a problem with people demanding freedom. There's a problem with people protesting against the genocidal regime of communist China. So the United States of America has a complete fraud as a vice president in Kamala Harris, and we have Senator Donna Dasko. All right, we have another busy show for you today. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel retired Robert L. McGinnis will be here. A couple of uh, items I want to talk about. Uh, Bob just wrote another piece for foxnews.com. Four ways Ukraine could defeat Russia. And also, there are some rumblings that the Russian military and the financial elite over there are plotting to overthrow Putin. We'll get Bob's take on that. Barbara Kay, columnist at the National Post, post-millennial, co-author of Unsporting, uh, will be here with more on Bill 67 and how it focuses on critical race theory. And uh, uh, according to Barbara, this bill basically contending that Canada is a white supremacist society and the only way to make things more fair is through so-called anti-racist discrimination. 
which Barbara says ex- is, is explicitly a racist ideology that'll punish and divide all students while fomenting hate and resentment amongst various groups. And she's absolutely right. Barbara Kay will be here in the second hour. Oh, this is a treat. Brad, Brad Skistimus, a.k.a. Five Times August, returns to the program. He's going to debut his brand new song, This Just In, which is about Justin Trudeau. That's uh, coming up also in the second hour, but he's going to play that live for us. Monday, of course, we have a new segment, The Survivalist. Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, will be here. We'll talk this time. Last, uh, last week, we talked about building up your, your uh, food stores. Today, we're going to focus on fresh water and then how to purify contaminated water. Today's trade, trade deadline day which uh, I guess the deadline was, what, an hour and 15 minutes ago. So barring any last-minute move that I missed, the, the, uh, the Leafs basically traded Dermot to Vancouver for some a bag of hockey pucks, and uh, they got Giordano from Seattle, 38-year-old defenseman. That's it, pretty much. Not enough. Not nearly enough. But uh, Jacob... Goldback and Brandon DuPont, co-hosts of The Swing, heard Mondays at 3 p.m. right here on Saga 960. Every time I say that, Brandon smiles. Because he's talking about our show! Yes, I am. They do a great job. Uh, Oh, Tom Quiggin is up next, host of the Quiggin Report podcast. He's also the author of a piece of... um, Well, it's a fictional thriller. It's called The Great Reset, New Order of Fear. And uh, he'll be here talking about how Elections Canada lost. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. More mail-in ballots. The number of lost or missing ballots from Elections Canada was greater than the margin of Justin Trudeau's election win back in 2021. Is he a legitimate prime minister? Good question. All right. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Monday, March 21st, 2022. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Elections Canada says, whoops, sorry. That's right. Uh, This story came out, I guess, a few weeks ago. Elections Canada admitted 
that the uh, the number of lost or missing mail-in ballots, when you add them all up, that number of lost or missing ballots was actually greater than the margin of Justin Trudeau's election win back in 2021. So it's got some people wondering, is he a legitimate prime minister? Or perhaps more accurately, does he have a mandate? Here to discuss is a Tom Quiggin, host of the Quiggin Report podcast, and he's the author of a fictional thriller uh, exposing the risks of the Great Reset. It's called New Order of Fear. You can follow him, him on Twitter at Tom, capital T, capital S, capital E, capital C. Tom Quiggin, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good afternoon, Richard. Always a pleasure to be back with you. Uh, things are pretty good, all things considered, given what's going on in Canada right now. I'll, I'll say. So uh, just kind of run through the numbers here. Let's talk about, first of all, these, uh, these, these are mail-in ballots that Election Canada sent out to people who requested a mail-in ballot. So um, how many were lost? How many were just uncounted? How many were late? Well, it's an interesting story, Richard. You have to remember, of course, at the time there was a pandemic going on. This is the first time we'd had an election during a pandemic. But nonetheless, Election Canada said everything's fine. We're prepared. We're set to go. No worries. Everybody can have faith in the system. Well, according to Elections Canada own report, as you mentioned, there's about 205,000 mail-in ballots that were, shall we say, problematic not the least of which were 118,000 of those ballots that were only sent out on September 13th for a September 20th election. Now, these ballots are sent out from Ottawa, so they have to make their way to Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, or Victoria, BC, or up to the Yukon, or wherever. They have to get out there, get marked, and get back in what's effectively six business days in order to get in under the wire. And you have to ask, like, what were they doing leaving that part of the process that late for that many ballots? Now, on top of that, there was another little problem, which they identified. Um, Some 1,500 ballots were found in a commercial mailroom, not a post-Canada mailroom, but a commercial mailroom in Mississauga for the Mississauga Streetsville uh, riding. And they were found late. Uh, too late to be counted. And of course, they were outside of the control of Elections Canada. So it's not clear, you know, who had control of them. So that's kind of an issue. So all told, there were 205,000 ballots sent out that either didn't come back at all, or they got back too late to be counted. So uh, some people say, well, hey, you know, if they didn't come back, that's the fault of the person that, you know, asked for the ballot and didn't return it. But let's be real. If you're sitting out there in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, or, you know, uh, Kicking Horse Pass or something like that, you get a ballot uh, given to you or it shows up in your mailbox on September 18th or September, you know, 19th or something, you know full well it's not going to make it back to Ottawa on time. So there's a real disconnect here. And as you mentioned, The critical issue here is this isn't like a 0.1% and you go, wow, you know, who cares? The reality is the margin of victory of the Conservatives over the Liberals in order to get uh, that minority government position was 190,000 votes. Now, here's kind of to me, there's a couple of there's a couple of really serious issues here. I was an election supervisor in Bosnia way back in 1998 after having served in the military there a couple of times. 
fascinating experience to see how an election can be run in a contested country where they've just finished with a war and there's still violence in the street. We were able to smell tear gas and birch go as we were going through there because they were still, you know, gassing rioters and stuff like that. But we ran an election there with the OECD with pencils, paper, candles, and a bunch of guys driving vehicles. And after I left Bosnia, I had the weirdest feeling that this election, no matter how badly contested it was, no matter violent it was, the results of the election probably reflected the will of the people. And you say, you know what? That's a good thing. But now if you look around, there's a couple of real problems. One of them is if there's a computer involved in the election process, then the potential for fraud is extremely high. And if you want to know if election officials are lying to you, wait until they say, oh, our computer system is secure. It can't be hacked. Of course, that's an absolute lie. Any computer system can be hacked. The other problem, and this is the increasing problem in Canada, is mail-in ballots are an invitation to fraud. And that's the end of the discussion. For example, if you have a riding, doesn't matter where, Mississauga or you know New Brunswick somewhere, it doesn't matter. And you know that riding is going to be very close. It could be a few dozen or 100 votes could change the outcome of that seat. And if you allow mail-in ballots to be counted, as we did here in Canada, the day after, well, the temptation for someone to slide an extra 100 ballots in there is incredibly high, and the process to check that is incredibly low. So at a time in Canada when people are losing faith in government, they're losing faith in the police, they're losing faith in the police forces, they're losing faith in much of the mainstream media, you know, we need to ensure that Elections Canada not only maintains its standards, but in fact, I mean, it should be, you know, it should be better than bad. It should be gooder than good. To, to abuse the English language there a bit. Um, and, you know, it's not happening that way. We've just seen an election held where the amount of potential fraud or at least errors was greater than the margin of victory. And that doesn't give you a warm, fuzzy feeling, Richard. Tom, we better stop talking about this. Otherwise, when you start questioning elections, they'll, they're, they're likely to label us as a couple of insurrectionists. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> look at what happened to uh, Ezra Levant and Rebel News. You can choose to like Ezra Levant or you can choose to dislike him, and that's perfectly fine. That's up to, you know, whatever you think of him. But uh, prior to the previous, previous election, the one before, he actually wrote a book called The Libranos, and it was a very hard-hitting take on the liberal government. And what Ezra Levant would say was organized corruption within the liberal party, and one can argue that either way, but there's reasonable grounds to believe there's problems in the Liberal Party as there is in many political parties. Elections Canada went after him, had him investigated, hired two XRCMP guys to interview him and all this stuff. And you got to ask yourself, what the heck is Elections Canada doing involved in censoring uh, publications in Canada and censoring information in Canada. I mean, it's bad enough we have the government of Canada working towards greater censorship, but Elections Canada, you know, should not be involved in this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, it's a problem, Richard. And I think as we move to the future, we sort of should be demanding that Elections Canada gets tighter, stronger and better rather than sort of getting looser, weaker and more open to fraud. Tom Quiggin, host of the Quiggin Report podcast and his fictional thriller is called New Order of Fear. Follow him on Twitter at TomTSEC. Tom, thanks as always. Thanks, Richard. Have a good day. You too. Tom Quiggin. All right, when we come back, let's talk a little bit of uh, trade deadline moves. Standing by with uh, Jacob and Brandon. Don't go away. 
Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. All right. Well, trade deadline day ended an hour and a half ago. How did the Leafs do? Eh, meh, meh. Brandon DuPont, Jacob Goldback, co-hosts of the wildly popular The Swing, heard on Saga 960, Mondays at 3 p.m. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Let's uh, let's start with you, Brandon. Uh, no, I was. I, I'm, I, we appreciate you uh, you bringing us on and, and and promoting the show. But I was also laughing at just your uh, unenthusiasm about the uh, about the trade deadline. It was. Uh, I don't think I've fun. ever heard Richard enthusiastic about the Leafs. <laughs> Ever. Well, uh, let's face it. Mark Giordano, thirty-eight years old. His his best days are are well well behind him. Yeah. Uh, this is not the kind of deal they needed to make in order to get them past the first round of the playoffs. Agree, disagree. Ah, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on this one. Yes, he's at the tail end of his career. Um, but the fact is, is they. Uh, they need defense. I mean, we just uh, got a, a report today that uh, Rasmus Sandin is is going to be out indefinitely for for some time. He's going to be on the IR. Uh, and Jake Muzzin, uh, good news, uh, thankfully, is is uh, practicing and he's on the ice with the red jersey. Um, so sooner or later, he'll be getting in some contact. Uh, but um, as of the moment, they're a little bit slim in terms of defensemen. And I think uh, Mark Giordano didn't can't hurt them at all. I think he's a, a great veteran present, former uh, Norris Trophy winner. Again, former is the key word there. Um, but uh, obviously not a, a high-scoring defenseman. Definitely, he's, I believe, 38 years old, if not mistaken. So like you said, yes, at the tail of his career, but adds a lot of experience. Can he get the Leafs over the hump? Uh, time will tell, uh, but it's certainly, I think, a great addition, and even Blackwell, too. Uh, but uh, as of the moment, defensemen, uh, very slim. So uh, wherever they can get the help, and especially a uh, veteran presence um, with Mark Giordano, definitely helps. Well, it, it would have been a, a great addition had they put the other pieces of the uh, of this puzzle together, which they were unable to do because of you know cap considerations and so forth, but all on its own. I, I just don't think it adds up to to, to uh, enough. Uh, Brandon, or sorry, Jacob. Well, let's keep in mind, first of all, Richard, the price that other teams have had to pay for premium defensemen. You had uh, Ben Sherrod, Montreal was able to get a, a first round pick for Ben Sherrod. Giordano is a far better defenseman than Sherrod. We also saw Hampus Lindholm recently get moved to the Boston Bruins. They had to give up a, a first two seconds and some prospects to get him. I agree with you that Giordano is past his prime, but we have to keep in mind, as Brandon said, in his best days, he was a Norris winning defenseman. He was one of the better defensemen in the OHL. And while he might have, maybe he's lost a step or two uh, in, in terms of speed. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. 
Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. It's what he brings in the defensive zone, as well as the playoff experience that he has. He's a very calming presence back on that D-line. That is something I think that I can't emphasize enough that the Leafs have really not had. You look at a guy like Morgan Riley, who I think is their best defenseman overall. He is more so known for his offensive game. Giordano is that veteran, really calming presence that I think they've missed for most of the year, especially with Jake Muzzin having lost his step, but also, you know, being hurt right now. Giordano is a really big ad for them. Well, yeah, we, we don't know what, we don't know which Muzzin we're getting back after consecutive concussions. Uh, it's clearly he's lost a couple of steps on his game this year. So which, first of all, which Jake Muzzin are we getting back? And then again, yeah, I agree that Giordano has had a, you know, he's had a, a wonderful career and could help them. I don't know that he's, he's going to do, he, he's not uh, first power play unit. He's not first penalty killing unit. Um, you know, he could eat up some minutes. You, you're right. Intangibles. He'll bring leadership, but they still have no grit. They still, you know, they're getting run out of the rink. They're getting clobbered. Um, on the ice, they, 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 they do not throw the body at all. And that's, they're not built for playoff hockey yet again. They didn't address any of those needs as far as I can see. And Marc-Andre Fleury goes to Minnesota. They, they took half the cap. What did they give up for Fleury? I think with a little creative bookkeeping, they could have gotten Marc-Andre Fleury. And I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe a, a less expensive defenseman who can throw the body. Well, I mean, interesting you say that. Sorry, sorry, Jacob, but interesting you say that is because the Leafs apparently were uh, more than kicking tires on Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, I think there was a report uh, this past weekend I saw that uh, Mrazek and then along with uh, a couple other picks would have went the other way uh, to Chicago for Marc-Andre Fleury. And Matthew Nye's branded because that's the big one right there in that trade. Because that's, that's the guy that the Leafs weren't willing to give up with is Matthew Nyes, who's going to be a really good player one day in the NHL. And I, I, I agree in theory. I like the idea of them getting Marc-Andre Fleury. But you talk about how, you know, Giordano is showing his age. He's 38 years old. Well, Marc-Andre Fleury is, is also old. He's also up there way past his prime. And he has shown significant regression this year from his Vesna year last year. And goaltending, again, I've said it on the show, goaltending, when you get to the playoffs, it's kind of random having to give up significant assets. A guy like Matthew Nyes, potentially, for a goaltender who, you, if he comes into the playoff game, if he comes into a playoff series cold, is going to be a big net negative to your team. That's a lot to give up for just such a big question mark. Whereas Giordano, you know he'll be able to play solid top four minutes to you for, for you, and they didn't have to give up a whole lot to get him. Well... We'll see. I, um, I'm looking at an early exit again for the Leafs. First round against Tampa. Maybe they'll go five, six at the outside. Sorry to be so negative. That's, uh, that's my prediction. That's my prediction. Gentlemen, I mean, well, Tampa might win a third straight cup. So There you go. All right. Brandon DuPont, Jacob Goldback, co-hosts of The Swing. Heard Mondays at 3 p.m. right here on the mighty Saga 960. Thank you, gentlemen. You. Thanks, Richard. All right. When we come back, the survivalist, Stefan Verstappen, will tell us how to store fresh water and how to purify contaminated water. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Week two of a brand new segment. 
we're calling the survivalist. Always hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. So many things happening these days, so much uncertainty in the world, the potential for massive supply disruptions, cyber attacks, EMP events, uh, you name it. Never, never a, a better time like right now to start thinking about how you would prepare for a massive power outage, empty store shelves. What are you going to do? How are you going to survive? How are you going to protect your family? Stefan Verstappen is an emergency preparedness survival expert, a martial artist, and um, he's got a brand new uh, online course called The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. Everything you need to take your freedom into your own hands, create mutual aid, support, and surviving the coming collapse. Stefan, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing good, Richard. How are you doing? Very well. So last week we talked about food and um, how to build up your food stores and, and uh, you know, six-month, one-year food supply for your family. Uh, we also t need to talk about fresh water uh, because, you know, people think, well, I turn on the tap. There's plenty of water. But if the electricity goes out, people forget the water filtration systems in, uh, in a major city are dependent on electricity. So once the power goes out, the fresh water is, uh, is going to stop running unless you've got a well. I suppose. So what do we do to ensure we have uh, enough fresh water? Well, we need to plan. And also we need to understand the importance of fresh water. You know, we are spoiled beyond belief that we can just turn a tap and get fresh water coming through the tap. This is very rare in history. And throughout history, waterborne diseases is probably responsible for the majority of deaths throughout history. I mean, you get sick when you drink bad water and it will kill you. And a lot of, well, throughout history, tens of billions of people have died from drinking water. It's one of the reasons why the ancient Greeks and Romans drank so much wine. And of course, the Scythians and the, and the Germans drank beer was because it was fermented and it was free from pathogens. And that's why they drank so much wine. That's why the wine was watered down to like 2% alcohol as well, because that's all they drank. All they drank was wine. If you were to take a drink of water from the well, you're risking your life. So we are spoiled. We take water for granted. But in the situation where the grid goes down, and again, one of the things we're planning for is the grid going down. And that could be for any number of reasons, whether it's hackers or uh, an EMP pulse, an, an electromagnetic pulse, whether it's uh, you know a solar uh, EMP pulse that shuts down the grid, or whether it's just incompetence or you know a vicious winter ice storm. You know it can take down the grid for weeks, if not months. We've all lived through this, or we you know here in Canada, many parts of Canada has lived months without uh, a hydro because of a storm. So there's many reasons why this would go down. And so we plan for it to go down because, again, we we take the approach of the classical Stoic. The Stoics have what they call negative imagination, and that is, what's the worst thing that can happen? Now, this goes, this is contra to all the new age movement philosophy of always thinking positively. Well, yeah, thinking positively is nice, but a Stoic thinks about what's the worst thing that can happen and... What can I do if it does happen? So we're thinking the worst case scenario. Richard, when I'm talking to you, 
This is not just, oh, well, in case we're inconvenienced. No, this is going to be the power goes down. Now you have no water. Everybody needs minimum of six liters of water a day to maintain proper health and nourishment. And if the taps no longer produce water, where are you going to get it from? Okay, so we have a number of different strategies we can employ. The first strategy is to store fresh water right now. So what I do is uh, because I got cats, everybody knows I got the poos cats and I have to buy kitty litter and they come in these plastic jugs. What I do is I take those plastic jugs after I'm done with the kitty litter. I rinse them out, add a couple of drops of bleach, rinse them out again. And then I fill them up with fresh water from the tap and I store them underneath the sink. So I've got each one holds, what is it? Uh, about a gallon. Each one holds about a gallon. I got five or six underneath the sink right now. Uh, it doesn't take up that much space. So at least I've got a week's supply of water stored already. And this is what I would recommend everybody do. You know, get a week's supply of water, six liters per day per person in your household and store that. Now, the reason, I, you know, we store six uh, uh, um what did I say? Six weeks worth of water? Six liters. Uh, six, yeah, one, yeah six, one, one week worth. Per one person. week worth, exactly. One week worth of water is so that you don't have to immediately go out into the wilderness or to the nearest lake or pond or river and start hauling water back to your apartment. Water is heavy, you know. So, and in the first, you know, uh, a few days of a natural disaster, you can have a lot of things on your mind and you're going to have a lot of things to do and you don't have the extra time to you know hike five miles to the local river and and haul back 10 gallons of water which is going to weigh a ton Stefan, i've got to take a quick time out we'll come back and uh, continue to discuss how to store fresh water how to purify contaminated water uh, emergency preparedness expert martial artist author Stefan Verstappen, back with more of our conversation. The Survivalist continues in three minutes. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Stefan Verstappen is with us, emergency preparedness expert, and he joins us every Monday at this time as we discuss strategies for, well, preparing for the worst. Of course, you hope for the best, but you should always prepare for the worst. And uh, we're talking about fresh water. You said six liters per day per person in your household. So uh, over uh, the course of a week, that's, uh, let's see, seven times, that's 42 liters of water per person. If you've got, uh, well, five people in your house, that's uh, five times 40 is 200 liters. My word, that's a lot of water. Um, so one week supply is, is enough. And then after that, you should prepare to go out and I guess, uh, haul water from the local stream or what if you live next to the Don river? You don't want to drink that. <laughs> you don't want to fish in the Don river either. Um, no, but <clears throat> there are strategies. Even if you live ne next to the Don river, there's still ways of uh, purifying that. So as you can see, Storing water becomes problematic right away because you need so much of it. And um, to store it, basically, you know, you know, get some glass bottles and some vinyl jars, uh, uh, um, um, uh, jugs, and uh, add a couple of drops of chlorine to each one before you seal it up. 
and that will prevent uh, it will help to kill any bacteria or pathogens in the water and will keep it you know, well from growing anything and store that underneath the sink but like you said if you've got five people in your house and you want a week's worth of water i don't think you have enough room under the sink there you know if you own a house it's different i was i had a client in arizona and uh, he brought in a 500 gallon tank that he you know put underneath the, the in the garage which is what you would have to do if you lived in Arizona, because there is no water, there's nowhere to go. But we have lots of options here in the Northeast in Canada. There's, uh, you know, you can scarcely go a mile without crossing a river or a pond or a lake. So now your next strategy is going to be, well, try and store as much water as you can. All right, great. If it can last three days a week, uh, that's perfect because, like I said, it's just to give you breathing room because you're, you know, dealing with a crisis situation. You don't want to right away to start to try and figure out how to purify water and, and where to go get it. So it gives you, you know, three days a week's worth of breathing room. For me, it's easy to store a week's worth of water because it's just me and the cats. But if you're a family, it's going to be a problem. So now your next strategy is going to have be a plan. How will we get water after a week? And you're probably going to have to go to a local river or a pond. So now we get into water purification and you need to have that equipment now. You better get ready for that equipment now. Now, there's two dangers from water that you get out of the river and the creek. The number one is the pathogens. All right. There's like a dozen different diseases, everything from cholera to typhoid to uh, E. coli um, in the water that will really cause you a lot of misery. Um, now, the easiest way to destroy the pathogens is to use like a bleach. So you've got those water purification tablets. If you've ever been up in Algonquin Park canoeing, you know, they usually give you some of those. You put one of those little pills in a liter a canteen and swish it around, sit for an hour, and then you're probably okay. It will kill the pathogens. And <clears throat> so the same thing if you have to get water from the local lake or the local river. And, uh, boy, you, it's going to be hard to carry all that water back. You're going to have to make several trips a week. But, yeah, you can use bleach in that water. So have some bleach on hand, number one. Okay. Now, there's other uh, alternatives such as water filters, like the Berkey water filter, which is a gravity-fed filter. And, uh, it, it you know, it dripples through these filters, and that will allegedly take out all the pathogens the viruses the bacteria and and some of the mineral uh, some of the heavy metals will be taken out by these water filters too problem is they're expensive and eventually those filters will get clogged and then they're gonna not gonna be any good so you have to store extra filters and the whole thing gets pretty expensive pretty quickly again it depends on the kind of water if you're taking water out of the don river and running it through the berkeley um yeah that filter is going to get uh, clogged up really quickly there's other methods, and I know we don't have much time, so should I cut to the chase? What's my favorite method? Yeah, let's go right to the to that. We can we can spend more time next week if we need to. No, no, I like to cover as much as we can in one session. Okay, so um, boiling water is always a good way. You kill the pathogens, boiling water. Bring it to a boil for four minutes is the standard uh, theory on that, but as soon as the water reaches boiling, point any uh anyways it will have killed all the pathogens so a berkey water filter and dozens of other kinds of water filters on the market uh, reverse osmosis water filters and boiling the water uh, those are all ways to kill the pathogens the trouble is there's a lot more in our water 
that are harmful that are harmful that we don't even know about there's lead there's iron there's magnesium there's uh, fluoride and all kinds of uh, 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 and chlorides and there's a lot of nasty stuff in the water and these filters and boiling it won't get rid of that we'll get rid of some of it but it won't get rid of all of it so the one thing for me the surefire way to guarantee i will always have pure water is a distiller now you can get the electric ones they, they sell them but again if the power goes out the electric ones are no use so what i got is a distiller i bought it on amazon 150 180 bucks it cost me which it's a lot of money for me but the distiller guarantees i could take water from the don river and so long as i distill it the water that comes out the other end is going to be pure no uh pathogens and also better yet no mercury no uh, fluorides no heavy metals no lead it takes all that out so you can drink from the dawn river so long as you run it through a still so that would be my final recommendation i have a still that i can put on this on the stove top and turn up the stove but i can also put it on a campfire the only problem with the still is that you need fuel but if you uh we're in canada everything is forest here so you can build a fire put the still on top of the fire like you would a cooking stove and you can purify anything you could take sewage water and drink it once it's gone through the still how much but, how much water can you produce with this method uh let's say in a, a few hours well, the one I have is five gallons, and I imagine it would take about three hours to get through five gallons. And again, depends on how, how hot the fire is and how quickly it's boiling, you know. Um, but uh, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. You might have to keep it running, you know, uh, all day long and, and right. build up your water supply. And then next week you run it for another day and build up your, your water stores. But to be honest with you, it's the, the one thing that it will guarantee to produce clean water, no matter what. And you don't have to buy any more filters. You don't have to use chemicals or anything like that. Because all those using the bleach and all that, okay, it kills the pathogens, but you're, you're still tasting swimming pool water, you know. So All I would right. say the, the distiller have one. Um, it's not that big. It's like a big pot. But that way you are guaranteed fresh water. And fresh water is crucial during a collapse scenario. If you don't have fresh water, uh, you're not going to make it. You got that right. All right. Stephen, for stopping, the website is chinastrategies.com. 
and you can sign up for his um, online course, The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. And also there's a survival library there that you can download, 180 survival books that'll teach you how to survive any emergency or disaster. Chinastrategies.com. Stefan, we'll talk again next week. Thank you for this. Have a good week. All right. Plenty of shows still to come. Brad Skistimus, a.k.a. Five Times August, will perform his brand new song, This Just In, as in Justin Trudeau. Uh, also, Barbara Kay from the uh, National Post and the Post Millennial will be here to talk about uh, Bill 67, of course, critical race theory, and uh, some heroes and villains, as well, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired. We'll talk about Russia, Ukraine. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. And welcome to Hour 2. Plenty of show still to come. So if you're arriving late, it's not too late. You missed a lot, but there's still plenty to come. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel retired Robert L. McGinnis will be here, Airborne Ranger, Infantry Officer. We'll talk about uh, four ways Ukraine could defeat Russia. Bob just wrote another piece for foxnews.com. And uh, four ways Ukraine could defeat Russia. We'll also talk about reports that Russia's military and financial elite may be plotting to overthrow Vladdy Daddy. There'll be another edition of Heroes and Villains. Wait till you hear this story. Somebody found this uh, hanging on a wall or posted on the wall in the lunchroom at uh, Home Depot. More woke nonsense. I'll share those details with you during Heroes and Villains. And Barbara Kay columnist at the National Post, Epoch Times, the Western Standard, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. Uh, we'll be here. We'll talk more about Bill 67. I'm not letting it go. We're going to keep hammering away at this appalling piece of proposed legislation that was proposed by a radical NDP MPP. It focuses on critical race theory in the schools and... Uh, What's important to keep in mind, Barbara Kay says, is that equity, which is all over this bill, people see the word equity in the bill and they say, oh, that's good. Who could be against equity? Who could be against anti-racism? It's a wolf in sheep, sheep's clothing. And equity is the opposite of equality, as uh, Barbara Kay will explain. But first, you're in for a treat. He's done it again, folks. Five times August, singer-songwriter from Dallas, Texas is here. And uh, Brad Skistimus is uh, his actual name, but he goes by five times August. And uh, he drops by occasionally with whenever he drops a new single. And uh, he's got a good one out right now. It's called This Just In. Let's welcome uh, Brad back to the program. Hello, Brad. How are you? Hey, great. How you doing? Very well. Very well. So This Just In, of course, a play on... Uh, Justin Trudeau. How did the title come to you? That's a clever title. Um, you know, I just, 
I was thinking about the media, you know, and just how they've twisted the entire thing anyway um, of what's happened in Canada. And they're always twisting things anyway. So I just thought the the phrase this just in was rather appropriate. Um, and it just happened to, you know, be a clever way to, to tie it in with Justin Trudeau. So in Canada, we have this kind of this inferiority complex. We think that nobody's paying attention to us. But now people are paying attention to us for all the wrong reasons. What was it? Uh, down there in Texas that that was sort of the tipping point for you and you decided, okay, you know, you've been writing all of these incredible protest songs. Now you're going to write one about our prime minister. What was it? Well, I was watching the convoy uh, happen up there in Ottawa and uh, I was just fascinated by the entire, um, just the event because everybody there, had a phone. Everybody was sharing these incredible clips of just really beautiful moments of, of uh, harmonious moments, people dancing in the streets and kids with bounce houses and stuff. And, and no matter what they, these, the, the people who were there were sharing online, the media would twist it and make it out to be a bad situation. And on top of that, you have the leader of the country just bail. That just just left all those people didn't even bother talking to them, and um, it's just infuriating to see because you know the first line of the song is this just in another liar on the news. And it's just another one, you know, just another one. Not just in Canada, we've got our own, you know, in America, these leaders that are just not interested in. Um, you know, telling us the truth about what's happening, not interested in what what our problems are, you know, on the day to day. And um, I was just very frustrated with it. And I I connected with a lot of um, Canadian freedom fighters up there along the way on Twitter. And um, I just wanted to do something. I had other projects I was working on um, for the Canadian to show my support for the, the convoy and what had happened was once the police got involved, it kind of changed the entire tone. And so I had to sort of leave those other projects behind. And then I circled back around to it a, you know, a week later or so with the fresh mindset. And this song came about. All right. And uh, you, you can perform it for us now? Sure. Fantastic. This is uh, Bradley James Skistamas, a.k.a. Five Times August, who hails from Dallas, Texas, performing his brand new single, This Just In. This just in another liar on the news Standing at the pulpit ready to abuse This just in another coward in control Scared by the sound so he hides in a hole He'll call on the guards to trample the crowd Cause the louder they get, they silence his power Shame, blame, no matter what they say Don't let the bastard get to you He's gonna try to shut us down But we'll stand our ground hey, This just in, he'll lose This 
It's just in another villain on the screen Acting like a hero for all the drama queens This just in another black painted face Lathered in his virtue enslaving every race He'll send out the troops to freeze the account Says the freedom you get is what he makes allowed Shame, blame, no matter what they say, don't let the bastard get to you. He's gonna try to shut us down, but we'll stand our ground. Hey, this just in, he'll lose. If you look in his eyes, you can see he's afraid. So fragile inside while the town's on parade. Shame, blame, no matter what they say, don't let the bastard get to you. He's gonna try to shut us down, but we'll stand our ground. Hey, this just in, he'll lose. No, he'll never shut us down, cause we'll stand our ground, eh? this just in you lose. Wow, you did it again. Five times August, a.k.a. Brad James Schistemus. And how do we, uh, how do we purchase the song, Brad? Uh, you can find it on Amazon, Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp. It's actually climbing the charts on Amazon right now. It's the number one singer-songwriter. A new release which is fantastic to see um so your support you know buying these tracks and and shoving them through the mainstream uh, outlets is extremely important i think it says a lot and it's been uh, floating up and down the apple charts as well so check it it's out it's just in and you know I'm, I'm i'm guessing that if our crime minister justin trudeau would were to hear this song um he, he would probably you know, think it's a tribute or something. This guy has no self-awareness, <laughs> zero yeah. self-awareness. There's a tremendous video as, as well. You do the videos yourself. Um, people, where can they see the uh, the video and the song? Yeah, the video's on YouTube right now, and it's uh, racked up quite a, quite a bit of views in the first couple of days. It crossed 60,000 views, which is incredible. But um, if you're not a fan of YouTube, it's on Rumble and BitChute and Odyssey and um, Gab and all the other other ones that you can go to online. And um, what are people, what are you hearing about the song? Do, do, do you have any detractors out there who are trying to defend Trudeau? Hard to imagine, but there may be a few. <laughs> you know, every now and then, like I'll get one or two comments on YouTube from somebody calling it a, a propaganda song or something like that, or a psyop, which is funny. <laughs> um, guy in my bedroom recording songs and putting these videos together, but yeah, it's a government psyop. <laughs> <That's laughs> no, right. um, but no, the the feedback's been incredible, and especially it was important to me to, um, from my can Canadian fan base, you know, that I, I hit the struck the right tone with them, and um, they've really really been connecting with it, and that means a lot to me too. Well, it means a lot to me, and I know many of our listeners uh, that you put this single out there. This just in, available at uh, Apple and Amazon, and check out the YouTube uh, or uh, the video on YouTube and Rumble. What's the the uh, your YouTube channel, Brad? It's uh, YouTube.com/slash Five Times August. All right, congratulations and thanks, and uh, hope to talk again soon. Keep them coming. We need them. Keep them coming. <laughs> No plans to stop, and thank you so much. Appreciate All right. it.
Bradley James Gistimus, a.k.a. Five Times August again. The song is This Just In. All right, when we come back, equity is the opposite of equality, and it has no place in our schools. Barbara Kay from the National Post and the Epoch Times and the Western Standard is next. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. We're going to talk about Bill 67 every single day, if, uh, if need be, until this appallingly bad piece of proposed legislation uh, is designated to the dustbin of history. It's uh, introduced by NDP MPP Laura May Lindo and uh, passed first reading and passed second reading almost unanimously. The, uh, the lone holdout was New Blue MPP Belinda Carajalios. She voted against it. Bill 67, racial equity in the education system. And um, Barbara Kay is with us to discuss today, columnist at the National Post, Epoch Times, Western Standard, and co-author, of course, of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport, along with uh, Linda Blade, who joins us uh, on the program frequently. Barbara, welcome back. How are you? I'm fine, and great to be with you today, Richard. So the, the, the notion that, that uh, our public education system is rooted in white supremacy, um, I don't recall... Laura May Linda, who, who brought this bill, this private member's bill forward, offering up any advice. I mean, in order to, to propose legislation, to, to have a law, you need to have, if you're going to have a solution, you need to have a problem. Where, when, when was it d- d- decided that our public education system is rooted in white supremacy? I didn't see any evidence for that. There is no evidence for that. And that is uh, one of the tactics that you find with theorists is that they begin with the theory uh, that there is systemic this or systemic that, and that's supposed to be taken as a given, and they take it as a given. Uh, this, this critical race theory is borrowed from the United States, where at least uh, there is a history of systemic racism that they can point to. Uh, their, their notion there is that There was systemic racism and it has never stopped and it continues and it's always going to continue because whiteness uh, is a kind of original sin uh, in which racism is inherent. So at least in the United States, the background is slavery. Yes, uh, this was a, a nation that was systemically racist and many of their laws, even after the Civil War, you can point to as, yes, systemically racist, but they've come a long way since. That's not the issue for for Canada, since we never had um, that kind of uh, a past or a racist history. So it's taken for granted that wherever white people dominate a culture or, you know, in in a uh, culture, in a in a any nation founded by uh, people of European or Western provenance that are white, you're going to have a problem of systemic racism. It's just, that's a belief. That's a belief. So you're right. There's no evidence, but that's, uh, that, that doesn't mean very much to theorists. The, the second issue if, is if you're going to propose a law, shouldn't you make certain that there, there aren't already laws that, that <laughs> are in place that can address any of the issues you're bringing up in the new law? So if we have racist teachers. I mean, isn't there a mechanism already in place to fire them? 
Yes. There is no teacher in the education system today that would dream of of of, of um, issuing a racist statement, uh, behaving in a racist way. Quite the opposite. They come out of teachers' college so programmed to believe that uh, we live in a racist society that they are breaking their necks to prove how very anti-racist they are. So. No, there's, we don't have to worry about the teachers being racist at all. What we have to worry about is the theory that says, even if you don't see racist activity, even if you don't see racist behavior, even if you don't hear racist speech, the real problem is that this could be a subconscious, there, that people are subconsciously racist. And this, in Bill 67, is written in whether the racism is conscious or subconscious. That's a real weasel word, because how do you prove that you're not racist? Say, Richard, when did you stop beating your wife? You know, it's it's the exact, hey, I never beat my wife. Ah, ha, ha. The fact that you say that means that you would have liked to beat your wife or you have been. I mean, there's no defense for an accusation of subconscious hatred or a wish to be violent or any of that. So once you're deciding what's in people's mind for them, and of course, the only test for your subconscious racism is the statement of somebody who says they have been offended by you. It might have been they didn't like the expression on your face. They didn't like the joke you made. You didn't whatever the arbiter in according to this bill of of whether or not you are racist is the offense taken by the person. And of course, they don't have to give any evidence. They just have to say, I'm offended. Well, okay, then you're a racist. Uh, This is a very pernicious kind of, this is the kind of um, thinking that we associate with totalitarian societies. Absolutely. Uh, Barbara Kay is with us, columnist at the National Post, the Epoch Times, Western Standard, co-author of Unsporting. We'll take a, a timeout, come back and continue to discuss Bill 67, racial equity in the education system. Equity, that's the word we're going to drill down on. What does it mean? What does it have to do with equality? We'll find out. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. <clears throat> Well, I've been uh, racking my brain for for, um, over a week trying to figure out why the so-called conservative party in this province, the progressive conservatives, would vote for Bill 67, racial equity in the education system. The bill is only six pages long. It's very easily digestible. It's not filled with a lot of legalese. It's it's, it's very easy to comprehend. And when you read it, it's, uh, it's apparent that it's just, it's an odious, sinister, a coercive, a corrosive piece of uh, legislation or proposed legislation, Bill 67. Uh, Barbara Kay is uh, with us, columnist at the National Post, Epoch Times, Western Standard, co-author of Unsporting. Um, is it the word equity, do you think, that uh, the MPPs are getting caught up on? They think, well, how could I be against equity or how could I be against anti-racism? Are those, is that what's What's driving this, do you think? Yes, it is precisely. When you see the word equity, you see the theory behind it. You, you understand what you're reading. 
when they saw the word equity, they actually, in their minds, transposed it to equality. Because the, the two words have a few, you know, they have three letters in common. And they sound like, yeah, equity, equality. Well, yeah, it's probably the same thing. Uh, but it isn't. Equity has a very specific meaning. It's, uh, it has nothing to do with what we consider to be equality of rights, equality uh, under the law, equality of human beings as individuals uh, with, with the same rights, blah, blah, blah. Equity has a very specific meaning. It is a Marxist uh, theory. It's a Marxist idea. And it proposes that uh, instead of having equality of opportunity, which is what we people, conservatives or classic liberals, believe in, it, it proposes that all uh, identity groups that are uh, in the oppression class, people of color, trans people, gays, lesbians, all those minority people who have been uh, historically disadvantaged, these people, if they do not... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Uh, if they do not arrive at the, the finish line, we believe in an equal starting line. Everybody gets the same opportunities, or we try. We try to give people the same uh, educational you know, uh, resources. We try. It's not even, but we do try. Um, and uh, we know that the finish line, some people are going to finish first, and some people... It's the merit principle. Uh, but they are saying, no, 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 no. If people do not arrive at the finish line, that is success or status, with in the same proportions as they are in the population, then the only explanation for that is systemic racism. It cannot be due to any other factors. Uh, and therefore, that's what we're fighting for. And if you're not fighting for that too, then you might as well be a racist because if you only believe in equality, then your silence is violence. Right, right. So it's not equality of opportunity they seek, it's equality of outcomes. Exactly. Which, as you say, is, is a, a totally a, a Marxist doctrine. Um, and so, as you point out, this, is, this piece of legislation, Bill 67, or the proposed legislation, is really a wolf in sheep's clothing because uh, it seeks to divide and segregate people. Um, one group over here, you are the oppressors, and this group over here is the oppressed. When you're telling children that, you're drilling that into their head, uh, that if you're white, you're the oppressor, and if you're brown or beige, you are the oppressed. You are the oppressed. You are a victim. I mean, 
that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. I agree it's a recipe for disaster. It's an extremely racist ideology. And it also, uh, it also, uh, it, it takes people's individuality away. It forces them to be members of a group that they have to think like their group. And it's extremely infantilizing and patronizing. It's basically saying, look, if, if uh, the state did not provide uh, interference for you, and if the state does not socially engineer the, uh, the environment in order that your outcome uh, is, is arrived at, you know, according to your proportionate proportion to the population, uh, then you would fall behind because you, as an individual of this identity group, are not equipped to compete against the oppressor group, and that is white people, even though we have evidence, clear evidence, that, uh, for example, uh, brown people from India or from Nigeria, uh, they outperform white performance in terms of outcomes. Uh, people like uh, Asians, and these are people of color as well, outperform um, the average white person. So we have evidence that it has really very little to do with state interference. It has to do with um, all kinds of, it's all kinds of cultural reasons, all kinds of uh, um, uh, individual aspirational reasons. It, it, so really, it's, it's not only a racist ideology telling white people that they should be feel perpetual guilt for their um, anti-racism. And also, by the way, in Canada, of course, a very strong emphasis on settler, I'm using quotation marks, settler mentality that, uh, that explains the failure of Indigenous peoples to arrive at the same outcomes as white people, that it can only be explained by bigotry against Indigenous peoples by the settler oppressive group. This also, my concern is that this is going to radicalize uh, elements in society. If, if you're constantly labeling uh, one group as oppressors and another group as oppressed uh, at an early age in school, um, and anyone who complains about it, well, that's just white fragility. Um, that's when you, when you silence certain people, um, that, that's just a recipe for radicalization. And that's what I see happening in this country. And this this bill sixty seven is only going to uh, exacerbate that. We can uh, we can sign the petition at uh, stopwoke.ca. Stopwoke.ca. There's a petition there that'll be delivered at the Queens Park uh, or at the Ontario uh, Legislature, and I think that's happening within the next I don't know few days or weeks. Um, I believe Belinda Carahalios, the MPP from New Blue, will be presenting that. And uh, again, I encourage people to go to stopwoke.ca, sign the petition to stop Bill 67. And um, Barbara, thank you so much for uh, your insights. I appreciate it. Well, I'm very pleased that you had me on to uh, discuss it with you, Richard, and thank you for that opportunity. My pleasure. Barbara Kay, uh, National Post, Epoch Times, Western Standard, co-author of Unsporting. All right, when we come back, a little heroes and villains stay with us just having a little chin wag on the richard serrett show news talk saga 960 a.m you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain heroes and villains all right it's been a while since we've done a heroes and villains 
And, uh, well, no hero today. Today's villain, Home Depot. So someone who works at Home Depot found this on the lunchroom wall at their local Home Depot and posted it on social media. Home Depot, leading practices, this document is called. Again, this was uh, found, I guess, on the billboard in the lunchroom at Home Depot. So this is Home Depot policy. Leading practices, unpacking privilege. And they begin with a definition of privilege. A noun, a special benefit or advantage that may be earned or unearned. Note, a person may or may not be aware that they are benefiting from privilege. Well, I'm sure you'll point it out to them. Social privilege, special unearned advantage or entitlement used to one's own benefit or to the detriment of others. These groups can be advantaged based on social class, age, disability, ethnic or racial category, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, and religion. Here we go. White privilege. Societal privileges that benefit white people beyond what is commonly experienced by people of color under the same social, political, and economic circumstances. All right, so what does privilege look like? Again, this is uh, the Home Depot, their uh, leading practices document. What does privilege look like? If you're confident that the police exist to protect you, you have white privilege. If while growing up, college was an expectation of you, not a dream, you have class privilege. If you can expect time off from work to celebrate your religious holidays, you have, wait for it, Christian privilege. If you can use public bathrooms without stairs, fear, or anxiety, you have cisgender privilege. Right, unless, of course, you're a member of the University of Pennsylvania's women's swim team and you're in the bathroom or you're in the shower naked and your teammate, Leah Thomas, who is a man, is allowed to wander into your shower fully naked and shower next to you. Wouldn't you feel anxiety as a woman? Does that mean that Leah Thomas has transgender privilege? No, 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 no. We can't have that. Carrying on, what privilege looks like. Again, this is the Home Depot leading practices document. If you don't have to worry about how to get into a store, you have able-bodied privilege. If you don't have to explain that your spouse is of the same gender, you have heterosexual privilege. If you don't have to think about it, it's a privilege. Check your privilege. And here are the categories. White, male, class, Christian, cisgender, able-bodied, heterosexual. So, to recap, if you're a Christian white, able-bodied, heterosexual man. Check your privilege. Again, this is found on the, at the lunchroom. Now, let me see. What else do they have at the lunchroom? 
Oh, a little, uh, a little cartoon talking about white privilege. I don't know if I can zoom in on that to read it. So there's a little cartoon talking about white privilege, why it's uncomfortable. Oh, here they are talking about why it's uncomfortable to talk about white privilege. So now they're talking down, if you're white, the word white creates discomfort, especially when individuals are not used to being defined or described by their race. When people hear the word privilege, they feel like it suggests they have never struggled. White privilege does not mean your life has not been hard. It simply means that the color of your skin is not one of the reasons that makes it harder. When you feel uncomfortable talking about white privilege, here are some questions to ask yourself. All right, so you shouldn't feel uncomfortable, but if you do, you have to examine yourself. Why does this unsettle me? How does this lens change my understanding of racial dynamics? How can my unease help reveal the assumptions I've been making? Is it possible that because I am white, there are some racial dynamics that I can't see? Am I willing to consider that possibility? If I'm not willing to do so, why not? How do you feel about shopping at Home Depot, folks? Unpacking privilege. White, Christian, able-bodied, heterosexual men. I don't know, lots of different home hardware stores to choose from. Something to consider. All right, when we come back, are the uh, Russian military brass and the financial elite in Russia plotting to overthrow Putin? Also, four ways Ukraine could in fact defeat Russia. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel retired Robert L. McGinnis joins us next. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Feb 24th. I believe that's the date Russia invaded Ukraine. And I'm, I'm sure that Vladdy Putin was pretty confident that that would that special military operation, as he called it, would be mopped up in a few days. He would uh, oust Zelensky's government, install a puppet regime, and um, pull back. Maybe leave a few occupying forces, just to be just to be sure. But it hasn't worked out that well for uh, Putin. It hasn't worked out that way at all. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis has uh, penned a new piece at foxnews.com, an opinion uh, piece, describing four ways that Ukraine could actually defeat Russia. Bob is a um, army ranger and uh, infantry officer with service in four infantry divisions on three continents. He's the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and progressive evil. Bob, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's let's talk about some of the, the four ways uh, that Ukraine could defeat Russia. Now, when you say defeat, uh, sometimes in, in this type of scenario, a draw is as good as a victory, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and certainly a draw in the first case would be that the, the Russians say, okay, enough. We've taken enough 
losses in terms of uh, infrastructure or vehicles, uh, personnel. Um, we're going to go back, um, but you know we're going to extract a cost. Uh, perhaps we'll require you know the Ukrainians in exchange to have a new election. Uh, to maybe modify their constitution, uh, and will declare the independence of Donetsk and Luhansk in the east, and you know we'll probably throw in for good measure you know, the city they just destroyed uh, in the southeast, um, connecting Crimea with Russian mainland, uh, and so. That's a possibility, um, not the one that obviously I favor. What what I'm concerned about, Richard, is that you know we're seeing some very significant actions by the Russians. They're digging in, which means they're going into the defense. They've called up reserves, which means they don't have enough people to do the job. And of course, they've called in the Belarus uh, government and their military to join the fight. Uh, those are all significant changes. But you know, I still believe that it's possible for Ukraine to win. Um, you also lay out a scenario where the, the Russia, Russians could win. They could divvy up Ukraine, install a puppet government. Uh, however, ultimately, that would still be a loss for Russia, kind of a Pyrrhic victory. Well, it, it would be much like what happened in uh, Afghanistan, Richard. You know, they went in early 80s and left in 89 uh, primarily because uh, they just knew that there was no winning uh, ultimately in changing uh, the direction of Afghanistan. I think the insurgency that would mushroom from uh, a, uh, a continued destruction of Ukraine by the, the Russians would be really a shot in the foot for uh, Putin. Ultimately, he'd be in that engagement for years to come, and it would probably be, you know, written on his headstone when he dies that yeah, he created this dismal situation by which his country was dragged uh, into a long-term insurgency in Eastern Europe, and of course he created a new Iron Curtain and a Cold War uh, between the West and the East. So that's a real possibility. That you know, Ukraine is filled with weapons, and they're coming in every day. And the, the carnage is undeniable. The, the third scenario uh, would see Western intervention uh, in the fight. Um, are we talking about like a no-fly zone? Are we talking about NATO troops on the ground? Well, I, I think that's a real possibility. Now, with Belarus in the fight, uh, with all indications, you know, they're right on the, the Baltic border. Uh, and, you know, we've already had mishaps that have landed uh, very close to the Polish border and also the Hungarian border. So uh, the Russians are going to make some terrible mistakes, I suspect, in the coming days. And so you know, there is a real possibility that uh, we, we throw caution to the wind and say, look, you know, the Ukrainians have every right to defend their airspace and give them the MiG-29s. The Ukrainians have every right to defend themselves against these terrible atrocities. Uh, and that may draw in NATO. You know, we'll see. You know, certainly NATO is gathering in Brussels this week. Uh, I know President Biden is heading over there to talk to him. Um, nobody wants to see this, you know, escalate into World War III, like Zelensky says. Uh, but uh, I don't, I don't rule that out. That's a real possibility. And if we do join the fight, uh, the Russians' military uh, is really 
diminished in its capability, uh, whether or not they can sustain a long-term fight without reverting to nuclear weapons, that's, that's the unanswered question. But ultimately, you, Ukraine and the, the carnage that we've seen on our television has to be reversed. Uh, we need a Marshall-like plan to go in there and to rebuild that country and to help these people stand up again. Uh, Your fourth scenario where Ukraine could beat Russia is truly the David beats Goliath scenario. How how, uh, realistic is that? Well, I I think it's, quite frankly, at this point, it it is possible that Ukraine's resistance against all odds could continue to push against the Russians. There are plenty of examples of where the Russians can't resupply. Uh, The javelins, the stingers are denying the air. Uh, to the Russians denying their tanks the you know, the opportunity to go in the directions they want to. You know, it just seems as if, you know, the Ukrainians' tenacity will to, to preserve their sovereignty as a country and to fight against the Russian odds uh, are really beginning to, to take a toll. And it could be that eventually Mr. Putin uh, suffers some setbacks internally. I know he's arrested a lot of people, sent a lot off to jail and never to be heard from again. Uh, but you know, those things are really grating against the Russians' uh, chance, I think, of what they may consider an ultimate victory. So uh, in this scenario where Ukraine hands Russia humiliating defeat, you, you write that a wounded Putin seeks an escape. Uh, so he returns to uh, to Russia where he may be facing, according to some analysts, um, some serious repercussions from his own military and even the financial elite. Are they plotting to overthrow him, do you think? Well, I, I don't rule that out totally. The oligarchs, of course, have lost all their fortunes, or at least they've been frozen. And I think the unspoken issue here is what China is going to say to Putin. You know, China has guaranteed, I believe, Putin you know, supplies a, you know, a crack in the wall of isolation from the world. Uh, and if he loses that from, you know, Chairman Xi, uh, then Putin is really in, in sad shape. He already has a crumbled uh, ruble. Uh, the stock market is in the, in the toilet. Uh, the people are very distressed. The Western businesses have left. Uh, so economically, he's in trouble. His military is not happy with him. You know, there are a lot of generals that have been killed or wounded. Uh, and then, of course, the conscripts, uh, you know, the moms of these sing- of these individual sons that are not going to return are really beginning to rabble rouse across that country. So you've got a host of issues here that are going to be very, very tough for Mr. Putin to deal with long term. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel retired Robert L. McGinnis, author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil and Progressive Evil, all available at Amazon. Uh, Bob, thank you as always. Thank you, Richard. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon, and Declan. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. Be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. (laughs) 
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.